Hello, my name's Heather, and this is my posh boyfriend, Max. Hello. And this is our podcast, Posh Things My Boyfriend Says. Hello and welcome to episode eight. Episode eight. Episode eight, where as trailed uh, last week in episode seven, we're going to be tackling sally rooney's novel normal people which came out in 2018 but is currently the subject of what i understand is a pretty bloody raunchy adaptation (laughs) tv are you a 70 year old man uh from time to time (laughs) um that i've not watched this is our book review yeah um this came about just before lockdown, I think. No, I think it was during lockdown because um, we both had extra time on our hands, mm. which has meant more reading, which has been lovely. Yeah. Um, and you were browsing our uh, library and asked for a recommendation. And because this was coming out on uh, the TV programme, you I decided it to read it. Yeah. And I have to be honest, it kind of blew me away. Mm. Uh, in many ways it was um, so great observing you reading it. it which it was genuinely like a very instructive and emotional thing to read i think it's mm. an amazing book and there's loads to say about it but what really struck me was the way that it hits on loads of themes that are really really pertinent to what we discuss um here on this podcast and mm. it, specifically how class affects dating and relationships Mm. it's interesting as well because when i first read this a couple of years ago the class thing didn't necessarily stick out to me i think it's just because at the time when i read it previously you know you and i have joked a little bit about um i'm i'm connell (laughs) in our relationship (laughs) and you're marianne um and so from connell's perspective when he describes some of the kind of um uh I guess, class-related feelings about being in university and stuff that we'll talk about. It just felt really normal to me. Mm. And so reading it was quite reassuring. And I didn't necessarily think, oh, that's because of a class thing. That's so interesting. It was just quite nice to read um, a feeling that felt very familiar to me in print. Yeah. But it's quite nice to sort of read a book that's very much of our age yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So we're going to get to it. For anyone who hasn't seen the show or read the book, massive spoiler alert because we're going to get into you know detail as, yeah, as yeah. to this is who... the one and only time we'll tell you not to listen <laughs> to an episode <laughs> no no still listen to it but just be prepared to have it spoiled oh, That's right, okay. there you go. your chance is gone um <laughs> no so so we're going to be doing a proper look in depth at the book and what we've done actually is we've chosen a couple of extracts that i think really struck a chord hit a nerve with both of us you were just describing how it felt so good or so interesting to have something from your perspective Mm. written in that way. From my perspective, reading that book and just being given that window into how other people might think or feel Mm. around me potentially, I think was just unbelievable and was quite powerful and moving, especially being in a relationship with you, which we'll get into. So for everyone who listens uh i really really recommend the book and there's a few pretty big takeaways from it i think for everyone especially anyone who's interested in the sort of things that we talk about on this podcast yeah i'm really interested to see how the class stuff translates in the tv program so maybe we'll come back and sort of see whether that comes through because so much of the class stuff is almost unspoken yeah and so it's, it's it'll be interesting to see how that translates to screen so for anyone who hasn't 
read the book or seen the show. Just to bring you up to speed, Heather, what is it all about? So Normal People is two main characters and focuses on their relationship over their kind of formative years, Mm -hmm. I guess, through the end of school onto university. Um, You've got Marianne and Connell. Connell's a pretty typical working class lad. He's quite reserved, but he's sporty and he's good looking. So he kind of generally fits in at school and he's considered to be quite popular. Mm. But his sort of inner monologue is quite interesting because there's an awkwardness about about it, which I think most people uh, (laughs) who've been teenagers can relate to it. Um, He's also the son of a single mother who gets by on a low paid cleaning job. Mm -hmm. Um, And his mum, Lorraine, cleans Marianne's house. And that's how they're introduced. So Marianne's kind of, what would you say, upper middle, upper middle class. She's also the daughter of a single mother, but her mum is kind of around, but she seems to have a, a low level alcohol problem Mm -hmm. um she also lives with a horrific older brother who's pretty abusive and there's frequent references in the book to how big the house is and later in the book how kind of money isn't an issue for marianne at university she doesn't really seem to go through that skint student phase yeah she gets a scholarship for the prestige not for the financial yeah absolutely Um, But she's also not without her trouble, really. She's Mm. got some um, deep-seated self-esteem issues, which um, kind of come out in some pretty harrowing ways. She's in several sort of abusive relationships. And at school, Marianne's considered really weird and an outsider. And there's also quite a lot of references to her acting quite aloof from people. So the book really just illustrates their different backgrounds really well. And it's all just context for their inner monologues which you hear quite a lot about um but the social divide between them is is i guess because connell's mother cleans marianne's house house. yeah very briefly then there's not a hugely detailed or in-depth storyline but it's basically charting their relationship because they Mm. meet and fall in love when they're at school but it's very tragic as a love story because Connell's, as you pointed out, insecure deep down and Mm. doesn't want to admit to anyone that he is in a relationship with this girl who's considered quite weird. And then there's this really devastating close to the first part of the book where he snubs her despite having been going out with her for a a long time and becoming very intimate and close um, and asks somebody else to their prom, one of the popular girls. And that's, um, yeah, as I say, quite a devastating thing for her and Mm. for uh, his mum like seeing how he's acting and everything but then they go to university and the tables are turned Mm. and she becomes pretty and popular and feels at ease whereas he's very much fish out of water and he's sort of unsure of himself in a whole new way and doesn't fit in he's not even sure if he wants to go to university i think is he he? mainly goes Um, because of her yeah which is so interesting because he's he's they're both highly intelligent yeah and that forms a large part of the basis for their relationship. But when he gets to university, everyone around him doesn't think and act like he does. No. So he feels very much out of place. And then basically it's a series of on and off, being together, breaking up for various awful self-destructive reasons. Mm. So as you read the book, certain things jump out to different people but for us that exploration of class and relationships really came through very strongly 
um, and we've chosen a couple of extracts each to read out and then quickly analyse. I chose my first one, if you remember, in the book there, they are at school together, fall in love and break up, then go to university, and that's where their sort of class divide is thrown into sharpest relief. Mm. And there's this exchange where they're at a house party. Marianne's got a new boyfriend, and Connell's sort of working his way back into her friendship group. And there's this bit at a house party where her and some of her friends are discussing him. Mm, oh, yeah. So in this scene, we have uh, Marianne talking with her friends uh, about Connell. And it says, Connell has been casually seeing a friend of theirs called Teresa. Marianne has no real problem with Teresa, but finds herself frequently prompting Connell to say bad things about her for no reason, which he always refuses to do. He wears nice clothes, volunteered Joanna. Not really said Peggy. Joanna and Peggy are Marianne's friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has a look, but it's just tracksuits most of the time. I doubt he even owns a suit. Joanna sought Marianne's eye contact again, and this time Marianne returned it. Peggy, watching, took a performatively large mouthful of Cointreau and wiped her lips with the hand she was using to hold the bottle. What? she says. Well, isn't he from a fairly working-class background? said Joanna. That's so oversensitive, Peggy said. I can't criticise someone's dress sense because of their socio-economic status. Come on. No, that's not what she meant, said Marianne. Because, you know, we're all actually very nice to him, said Peggy. Marianne found she couldn't look at either of her friends then. Who's we, she wanted to say. Mm. Instead, she took the bottle of Cointreau from Peggy's hand and swallowed two mouthfuls, lukewarm and repulsively sweet. I think that's so interesting to me because, number one, I think it says that all people who are sort of of a slightly elevated social class, upper middle class people, whatever, have a sort of innate kinship where they all mm, have each other's back and they see each other it. as we. And there's yeah. that bit there, we're all very nice to him. But that phrase it's almost patronising, it's quite paternalistic. It sort of yeah. goes, oh, well, we're, we're nice to him, like, we're humouring the working-class boy in his tracksuit. Fundamentally, we all know that we're all in this group together. Yeah, and kind of, it, it has sort of a flavour of we're doing him a favour by yeah. being nice to him, yeah. rather than being, what, um, indifferent or nasty. Yeah. And I, if I'm brutally honest, I could imagine myself saying something like that if you were with a bunch of mates that, you know, all of your school friends and then somebody, like an outsider to that group, joins that mm. has nothing in common with you in terms of background. I also think that it would be true the other way, that I think if I started hanging out with a group of people with whom I had nothing in common, mm. um, they might say, yeah, we're nice to him. But I think what's really interesting is that does properly reflect the way that in our society, of people of our age still... There is that sort of innate sense of we and us and them mm. that's just you don't have to do anything to establish it. It's just there. It's there. Yeah. yeah. It's all it's all the unspoken stuff that you recognise. Yeah. It's quite interesting that you say that that scenario would play out if the tables were turned and, you know, largely working class group of people yeah. you start hanging out with. So I don't know whether it necessarily would be, not yeah, from a sort not. of moral high ground sort of thing, but I can I mean, definitely where I'm from, you'd just have the piss taken out of you. It wouldn't be done in any sort of um, malicious way, but it would be 
I guess, very blunt about those differences because mm. why beat around the bush? Do, yeah. you, do you know what I mean? Which yeah. actually is kind of intimidating for a whole other set of reasons, I can imagine. But here it's it's much more unspoken, isn't yeah. it? It's just sort of, well, we, we humour him, we're nice to him. Is the, mm. f- the phrase she uses, yeah, we're nice to him. So they'll yeah. present that very welcoming face. But what that comment betrayed is that in her mind, that character doesn't think of him just in terms of the value of himself as a person mm. it's sort of you know the stray that they've allowed in that they're looking after yeah that's interesting that they the, accept because it because he's marianne's friend yes there's another quote later on that you know he's allowed in because marianne has brought him in yeah and yeah. um, not because he's in of his own merit the other interesting thing i think of that quote it does um hark to a different section i think it's peggy there says i bet he doesn't even own a suit yeah. And later on in the book, he's going to a funeral and he describes putting on the only suit that he owns, which he bought when he was or had bought for him when he was 16 yeah. for a friend's communion. And he describes this feeling of it fe- of it being tight and uncomfortable. Yeah. And he's very worried about people looking at him and thinking that he looks bad. And when I read that... I thought that was so funny because last week, when was it last week we talked about fashion? No, uh, week two, two weeks ago yeah. when we talked about fashion, we described your rather haphazard put together <laughs> black, tie, black tie look. And you're just like, yeah, well, I've got it. I'll just, you know, I'll flaunt it, so mm. to speak. Not that I can imagine you necessarily <laughs> flaunting it in black tie. No, but um, I know what you mean. But the whole, like, it goes back to that mindset thing of you're like, well, this is good enough and they can they're you know getting the benefit of my presence so to speak yeah whereas i thought it was such a lovely description where he he talks about it feeling tight and him feeling uncomfortable because all he can think about is that people are going to notice that yeah, and judge him it. for it yeah um so it's it's quite perceptive i guess yeah, i think it's Peggy really perceptive. About, you know he probably doesn't own a suit i mean he does it just you know doesn't, doesn't fit, fit him. Right. so that's my extract number one very difficult reading at times this book um, because it presents, or it presented me with that thought of, is that innately how I might think mm. in that situation? Answer, maybe yes. Yeah. And that's not easy, necessarily. Mm. And also the thought that, you know, I might know Marianne's and Connell's and people that actually feel like you don't accept them just as, as for their own value as a person, yeah. rightly or wrongly. Maybe, but maybe that's just how people think about it and and a sort of concern they might have yeah i think from my perspective that exchange is something that i worry about for sure Mm. if we're hanging out with um groups of you know people that you know yeah you know when we first started dating definitely i was so worried about those being the conversations that people would be having hey um, guys be nice to hear that <laughs> all my friends are listening <laughs> no, anyway. your friends are lovely <laughs> anyway. um, yeah so so from my perspective that's like oh shit that is something that people yeah. um do think well and that's quite worrying yeah yeah <laughs> yeah on that note, I'm going to have a sip of my rosé. Speaking of uh, rosé, that's quite a nice segue to mm. the first section that I wanted to talk about. And uh, in this kind of scene, Marianne and Connell um, are on holiday in Italy oh, with yeah. a group of university friends. Mm-hmm. I think they're at somebody's summer house. I think it might be like her great aunt or like yeah, her yeah, aunt's so it's house in like Italy. That. Which really struck a chord to me because my aunt has a house in Italy. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
So they've just popped open a bottle of um, champagne and uh, they're sat at the dinner table and it goes, a crest of white spills over the lip of the bottle and Niall pours the wine into Elaine's glass. The glasses are broad and shallow like saucers. Jamie turns his empty one upside down and says, do we not have proper champagne glasses? These are champagne glasses, says Peggy. No, I meant the tall ones, Jamie says. You're thinking of flutes, says Peggy. These are coops. Helen would laugh at this conversation and thinking of how much she would laugh, Connell smiles. Marianne says, it's not a matter of life or death, is it? Peggy fills her glass and passes the bottle to Connell. I'm just saying, these aren't for champagne, says Jamie. You're such a Philistine, Peggy says. I'm a Philistine, he says. We're drinking champagne out of gravy boats. Niall and Elaine start laughing and Jamie smiles under the mistaken impression that they are laughing at his witticism. Marianne touches the fingertips to her eyelid lightly, as if removing a piece of dust or grit. Connell hands her the bottle and she accepts it. It's an old style of champagne glass, says Marianne. They belong to my dad. Go inside and get yourself a flute if you prefer. They're in the press over the sink. Mm. So what was it that you particularly sort of liked or, th- or was thought was thought-provoking about that? Well, I mean, it's such a pretentious conversation, isn't it? <laughs> yes, definitely. Which is the right glass for me to drink this delicious alcoholic beverage out of. But what I like about that as well is that, so there's this really objectionable character, this Jamie guy. Yeah, God, he's, he's such awful. a knob. <laughs> yeah, complete knob. Um, Everybody knows a Jamie as well. I think Everybody that's right, yeah. And Jamie is, well, as that section shows, he's pretentious, mm. but also doesn't know anything to go with it so like he's trying to be pretentious about the glasses and he doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to glasses absolutely Mm. and is also making fun of peggy and you know saying oh we're drinking champagne out of gravy gravy boats boats. yeah which he thinks is just so clever quite frankly if that's the only way i'm going to get champagne i'll be drinking out of gravy (laughs) boat as well but yeah i just you could just skim past this and think Mm. not very much of it but from my perspective, you know, I would have not known what the difference between a coupe and a flute is. And no. actually, even just before we recorded this, I had to check the pronunciation of coupe and check it wasn't coupe. We, we um, both might still have that wrong. Yeah, we might. We definitely might. Please correct us if, uh, if <laughs> that's the case. Um, it's one of these social faux pas, a bit like if you don't know which fork and knife to use in yeah. a multi-course meal mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, it's not something that you ever talk about. It's quite sort of mundane. But if you're not of this world, the world that they're in, I mean, yeah. then it's, it's quite an alienating thing. And it reminds yeah. me of um, I was having quite a nice meal with one of my best friends. Uh, and I think I think we were in the restaurant at the Shard and it was a big treat and it went for lunch, just the two of us. And we were sat next to a couple and I asked to have my champagne in a normal wine glass. And okay. the reason for that is I just prefer it that way. Yeah. My nose bashes against the top <laughs> of the flute. So I don't like champagne flutes. Yeah. I find them really awkward and uncomfortable to drink out of mm-hmm. i know that that's what you're supposed to serve them in or i actually prefer the sort of coupe shaped glass which well yeah because the coupe is is broader and flatter yeah it's than... much, much nicer yeah. also apparently um rumor has it that it was shaped on marie antoinette's boob mm. so there you go um <laughs> a little classy anecdote for everyone yeah 
Um, and when I was traveling, actually, I went um, traveling around Italy, funnily enough, after university. Yeah. And in Venice, they serve Prosecco in wine glasses. It's not served in yeah. flutes. That's yeah. not how you drink it. Um, so anyway, I had my sparkling wine in a wine glass. I asked for it. And the couple next to us, when um, when I was drinking it, I heard them whisper, God, look at it. She's she's drinking champagne out of a wine glass. Doesn't she know what she's doing? Really? And it was this really awful moment. And it really... Um, it made me feel so uncomfortable and so out of place, even though I had my own good reasons for why yeah. I was doing it. And, you know, quite frankly, if I'm paying that much for a glass of uh, probably, glass of yeah. wine, I'm going to drink it however I like. But it was awful and so snobbish awful. and just made for a really uncomfortable experience. So I kind of wanted to read this passage out because it looks very mundane, but there is so much class Going on in that. Yeah. and class dynamics in just that short passage. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I think that that and your story there sums up really well how so much of this stuff is like, are you part of the tribe? Like we spoke about with the fashion mm. thing. And do you know what I'm talking about and it's little tests always are you in the know are you in the loop are you part of this group and we're going to try and make you feel uh inferior or outsider if you don't absolutely and so what Jamie is doing in that scene I guess is trying to assert himself as oh I'm the one who knows how this all works because I know about well he doesn't know about flutes but he's trying to pretend he's he has that pretension because he thinks that makes that gives him value. <laughs> not, not to. <laughs> I'm grinning at you, you now. Stitch me up. I'm not going to stitch you up at all. But it does remind me. Not that I'm comparing you to <laughs> D- Jamie because he is a dickhead and you're not. Thanks. Um, but that, that moment in the, in the first episode of this podcast where where you were like, oh, the um, what did you say? Like the the Greek. Oh, Greek um, logic thing. The Greek logic thing. Totally tried to style it out <laughs> as though you definitely knew what it was Well, about. that, I think, is a really interesting segue into the other section that you were going to mm. to select, actually. Yes. Oh, um, that is that which, is a great segue. A, a very nice segue, which I'll leave you to introduce. Yeah. So I, so I mentioned earlier me recognising Connell's awkwardness mm-hmm. when he arrives at university he starts to feel very out of place. I mean, personally, I couldn't wait to kind of get there. Mm. But when I was there, I really felt like very out of place. And like everybody was a lot smarter than me. The The thing that I loved about my degree was that it challenged all of my thoughts and beliefs and really made me question so much stuff. So I was mm. in seminars with people who just seemed to you know, come down on a particular view and would argue for it. And that's kind of what Connell talks about here. So he says, this is what it's like in Dublin. All Connell's classmates have identical accents and carry the same size MacBook under their arms. In seminars, they express their opinions passionately and conduct impromptu debates. Unable to form such straightforward views or express them with any force, Connell initially felt a sense of crushing inferiority to his fellow students as if he had upgraded himself accidentally to an intellectual level far above his own, where he had to strain to make sense of the most basic premises. He did gradually start to wonder why all their classroom discussions were so abstract and lacking in textual detail, and eventually he realised that most people were not actually doing the reading. They were coming into college every day to have heated debates about books they had not read. He understands now that his classmates are not like him, 
it's easy for them to have opinions and to express them with confidence. They don't worry about appearing ignorant or conceited. They are not stupid people, but they are not so much smarter than him either. They just move through the world in a different way, and he probably never really understood them, and he knows that they will never understand him or even try. Mm. I think that's such a good passage, particularly that sort of latter bit about um, worrying about appearing ignorant uh, or conceited in any way. Uh, What I will say is that I have always been shit at doing my homework. (laughs) I didn't always do the reading. So I would probably have been one of those students who turned up to seminars at uh, various points and talked in abstract terms. Yeah, having not... Um, read it but you weren't like that were you now well this is no where we i remember reading that passage and having to stop pretty much immediately and go and talk to you about it and be like oh my god i just read this and yeah. this is what people think <laughs> um yeah i i sort of straddled that line because i think i can talk my way out of yeah. um many situations of having not done the reading or that sort of stuff but i always i've always been a really diligent student including, by the way, the preparation for this episode <laughs> in which I presented you with a tabbed and referenced copy of the book. And also a an email that he dictated and <laughs> sent to me about a week ago. <laughs> with all the talking points and the intro. No, um, yeah, that passage I think is amazing. So I remember being in the, my first seminar at University History and I um, had shoulder length hair at the time. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I will uh, just dear listeners I will try to dig out a picture of Max with his shoulder length hair and we'll put it on our social media so that's a reason if nothing else to follow us (laughs) also because it looked bloody brilliant anyway that's not the point the point is I remember sitting there um in the first class and I was being presented with so I did history at university a picture um from Hogarth I think it was Gin Lane and Beer Street Mm. and being asked like discuss this piece and sort of diving into it and just like opening up on this poor person next to me and something that I've always loved is asking questions and what you notice so quickly when you ask questions Mm. is that everyone else around you doesn't know either yeah. They're just too scared to admit that they don't know. And that carries on in, in the world of work oh as well. God. That's it's, not just It's like having a superpower. It's yeah. incredible. But what I will say, where that passage really resonates, is I don't have the fear of people thinking that mm. I am conceited or I don't care if they do, or thinking that I'm stupid. Um, so, so I'm sort of emboldened to ask questions. And the results almost always pay off. It's brilliant. Yeah. But... That was so interesting for me to read, to sort of almost see it from the other side. So I don't think I would ever be that person that hasn't done the reading and does the abstract talking. But that description of moving through the world in a different way, Mm. not having that insecurity about things like asking the questions in my case, or just having an abstract discussion in in their case, um, really struck home. And that was that was very powerful. Yeah, definitely. The bit where he says they are not stupid people, but they're not so much smarter than him either is so interesting. It reminds me of um, some friends um, I know that did a master's at Harvard. And I remember asking them, like, God, what's it like being surrounded by so many, you know, incredibly intelligent people? Mm. And actually their general consensus was, well, they're clever, but they're not any more clever than the people that I met at a red brick university in the UK. Yeah, yeah. It's just that they have this um, 
uh, like self-belief that you know makes them appear so much smarter but yeah. in reality that they aren't necessarily um and that was so reassuring to hear from them um and and just as reassuring hearing it from you i just kind of wish there was a way to overcome or instill that in yeah. so many people whose ideas probably are really novel but maybe don't feel able to speak up or even go into these sort of institutional settings yeah, um, be because they believe it's not for them yeah and and what's what's so interesting as well is the way that it's sort of a two-way process because those people perhaps myself included go into those scenarios and carry with them that confidence and that readiness to be heard but also people like the connells of the world imbue those people with intelligence and authority and stuff that they don't necessarily have but because he goes into that situation thinking mm. that they are super smart and and you know his first few weeks and months at university he thought they were all sort of on an intellectual level above him yeah um means that it it sort of reinforces itself because you you're intellectually deferential to those people yeah so you don't speak up so you don't realize they're just as clever as you are so yeah. it sort of entrenches or itself. question their ideas exactly yeah you just think they're being too smart that yeah I, I think that they must know better than me yeah i often will think that especially in a work setting yeah. um and I'm, I'm slowly learning to unpick quite a lot of that but it's yeah. you have to be very aware of it to start with which you know connell is in the book he yeah. comes to that realization that they aren't any smarter than him um but yeah i think you do have to be very aware of it and very intentional in you kind of unpicking a lot of that mm. there's some fantastic passages later in the book where uh people sort of begin to accept connell as being sort of their kind of intelligent and respect mm. him for that um but that we don't have time to go into because we basically we could read the whole book out yeah. and it would all be amazing. God, but, it's a good book. Um, I I'm gonna sort of finish on one uh, final extract that for me kind of blew me away, like it really rocked me to my core. Uh, in fact, I remember reading this passage at the time and having almost like dropping the book um, in shock and sort of asking you about it and wanting to talk to mm. you about it immediately. Yeah, I remember so, that. This comes about halfway through the book and having been through their first love story, Marianne and Connell then are back together again and then out of nowhere they break up again and you think that they are um, going along brilliantly and it's all yeah. you know, going to be wonderful from here on in and it's not and they break up and you don't understand why and this is the bit where they explore what happens. Mm. One of the big themes of the book is the insecurities that tug at both of them and mm. don't they don't allow themselves to be happy they keep self-destructing there's this amazing exchange where connell is going to have to move out of his flat so he's building up to ask marianne if he can move in with her which would be a big step for them and so he begins the conversation and says i'm gonna have to move out and she immediately begins to self-destruct and thinks that means he's going to move home so mm. she says to him oh i suppose you'll be moving home then which he didn't expect at all and wasn't his agenda, but then he thinks that's what she wants. Yeah. So he says, yeah, I'm moving home. So then he confirms it and she goes, oh, right, long pause sort of thing. Well, I assume you'll be seeing other people then. Oh, and again, that's not that what he devastating. wanted. Yeah, but they both think the absolute worst of the situation. Yeah. And then he's at home and he's discussing what happened with his mum uh, called Lorraine. And there's just this passage here where he explains from his perspective what he was thinking, what he thinks happened. And it goes like this. 
When did you two split up then? Lorraine asked him. We were never together. You were seeing each other, I thought. Casually, he replied. Then there's a bit more of back and forth between them. It says, Lorraine gave him a nudge of reproach and he continued to look at the TV. It was a travel programme, long silver beaches and blue water. Marianne Sheridan wouldn't go out with someone like me, he said. What does that mean, someone like you? I think her boyfriend is a bit more in line with her social class. Lorraine was silent for several seconds. Connell could feel his back teeth grinding together quietly. I don't believe Marianne would act like that, Lorraine said. I don't think she's that kind of person. He got up from the sofa. I can only tell you what happened, he said. Well, maybe you're misinterpreting what happened. But Connell had already left the room. Yeah, I remember reading that and immediately having to put down the book and make you promise that you were never going to ask that question about us. Yeah. Um, I think that pretty much stands for itself as an exchange. But the idea that somebody that you love might self-destruct to the extent that they pretty much terminate your relationship because they fundamentally question whether you might go out with someone like them hadn't really occurred to me and to have it presented like that was um devastating Mm. so for that reason alone i think we we felt we had to talk about this book yeah definitely but for anyone out there who feels like they might be the marianne in a relationship perhaps just you know spare a thought that that might be something going on with the connell in your life (laughs) Or for any Maxes out there, that might be what's going on (laughs) (laughs) for the Heather. But I hope not. But yeah, I I wanted to share that as part of our analysis of normal people. Darling. That that gets me quite choked up, actually. Yeah, me too. Just, you know, hearing you read it out, because I think it's, um, yeah, just quite powerful. But also because, yeah, I've definitely thought that um, when we've been going out, or at least worried that, that was the case so it's also really interesting from the other perspective to kind of I guess to have read Marianne's interpretation of that situation Mm. because it it has never obviously been about his class at all that's never been a a factor for them um and I think sometimes um if you are from a working class background you think about class and about fitting in way more than if you're middle class or upper class necessarily Mm. and so to kind of read how it could potentially impact your relationships in a really detrimental way is very sobering yeah um yeah but i guess final thought perhaps what's so interesting is that you made a comment there about how working class people might think about this stuff more actually Mm. than upper middle class people or that it might be a more um, troublesome subject for them. And I guess that's because perhaps it's not such an issue if you're upper middle class, because you feel like you belong, or you feel secure innately in your sort mm. of position. And what happens in the book is Sally Rooney has had to create a whole set of other reasons to completely undermine Marianne's own self like happiness with herself Mm. and that's that's her abusive family and sort of the the horrific domestic situation she has that causes all of her self-loathing whereas Mm. actually Connell has a very loving mother 
um and uh, as it says like quite popular at school isn't sort of outcast or weird mm. but but a lot of his self-destruction comes from later actually his class position um and and the difficulties around that mm. it's so. just it's such a brilliant book all of these undercurrents that are running through it you know the class angle the self-confidence angle the kind of um abusive uh backgrounds um you know i what i really like about this is that even though marianne's from a sort of higher class of uh society than Mm. connell is um connell has the much more desirable domestic upbringing and situation when we were sort of talking about this episode um we mentioned that both of them are single mothers and Mm. somehow marianne's mother has almost like the more palatable situation because she's not a single mother out of choice i think there's a little bit in the book that says people judge lorraine because she got pregnant very young and chose to have connell without the father there. yeah there's like the gossip and of the town sort of absolutely thing. Yeah. and yet she is by far the most level-headed loving sensible character in yeah. the entire book and i really love i love that it sort of flips that on its head because it's not this sort of trope of working class backgrounds with massive abuse and no love at home it's actually the total opposite and um makes that look like the more desirable home to be in Mm. uh yeah i i really love that about the book because i i do often worry in our podcast of slipping into stereotypes about uh oh you know you're posh you've had no issues in your life or oh i've you know i'm working class i've had such struggles um, and nothing's ever really as black and black and white as that. No, for sure. Um, like, for example, I did do the reading. You did do the reading. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. Very bad um, student. Well, look, that is our thoughts and reflections on Normal People. Wonderful book that, that shook me um, for all the above mentioned reasons. Visibly shook more. you as well. It was, for sure. it was kind of brilliant and terrifying watching you read this book because you'd just turn and look at me and you'd have sort of tears in your eyes or yeah, you'd, you'd be so frustrated um yeah, yeah it's, it really captures you yeah absolutely and that no doubt is why there's a successful tv adaptation that's been made if anyone out there has seen it and thinks that mm. adds anything to this or that they picked up on this or it was absent please let us know also if you've read the book please get in touch we'd love to know your thoughts on this as well so you can contact us to share your thoughts. Please do on the official correspondence channels. <laughs> For example, email. You can email us at poshthingsmyboyfriendsays at gmail.com. And you can also slide into our DMs on Twitter and Instagram at poshthingsmy. Excellent. And please do. And do do that because obviously everybody will have missed having everybody's favorite section correspondence this week oh, i know people will be devastated, devastating. And also the metaphorical or figurative correspondence sack is filling up <laughs> um so do please keep sending it in we're not ignoring it but um that is enough material i think on normal people and sorry for anyone that was looking for lots of laughs that was just a much more profound take on things because mm. i think it's important to discuss absolutely Good. See you next time. Ta-ra.
<laughs> the curse. And that is the dinner the bell, everybody. That is the bell for wine time. Ah, oh, have a good old sip.